space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of Starship Enterprise. It's five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life, a new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim, and this is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And for anyone who's watching us live, happy Captain Picard Day. Yeah, happy Captain Picard's Day. And if One you... of the most important days in Starfleet. Absolutely. If you're listening on the podcast, though, we hope you had a nice Captain Picard Day about a week ago. And we're going to jump straight into the, the Trek news this episode because there's a, a fair bit this week. We've been not a right lot coming through, but um, the big announcement is that we we were talking, well, it's weird, like we were talking about, oh, in the old days you used to know who all the characters were going to be before the show came out, <laughs> and now it's all about the mystery and we don't get that, but they've made us into liars because we've had... yeah. A full cast announcement for Prodigy, um, which includes some character descriptions. So we're going to... There's not a load. Like, you know, I, I don't think it's going to spoil the show, what they've given us already. Um, but we do know a lot better now who some of the characters are going to be. And we we can put faces to... Or names to the digital faces, I suppose, a little bit now. Um, yeah. And they give us a couple of screenshots as well, which we've got to show you. Yeah. And the artwork just looks beautiful. Absolutely, It's all going to be like this. So we've got... We'll run through the characters first of all, then. So the first one that they announced is... um, The character's called Rock Tack. And as the name probably suggests, this is the one who looks like a big rock person. And I want to take a bit of credit for this. I think I called this. I said that I hoped it was a Brickar, which is the species that um, Zach Kebron is from the uh, New Frontier novels. And they've officially yeah. said that this is a Brickar character. So I'm really excited about that because it's taking something out of the non-canonical works and making it canonical. And Yeah, it, it's nice that they're, that they're recognising... Yeah. The whole Trek universe. Exactly. And it, it gives me just that little sliver of hope that we might get some of the New Frontier characters in some <laughs> way, shape, or form at some point. But this is um, the character's eight years old. So it's an eight year old Brickar female. Um, described as really shy, which the Brickars are sort of, or Zach Kebron, the, the only character we really know from the novels. He's very standoffish, but not necessarily shy. Uh, but one of the things is he, and spoilers for the New Frontier novels, but he goes through like the Brickard version of puberty and like sheds some of his rocks and he ends up being right outgoing. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so... the sort of <laughs> like the, I read about this and the like thinking because she's an eight year old girl. That there's every possibility that we'll see this on screen. Yeah, exactly. Well, Zach Kebron didn't do it until he was a lot older, so I don't know quite how the life cycle of the Brickars work. But, um, yeah, I'm just really glad that we're seeing that species included properly. So very excited about that. Apparently, this is an animal lover as well, this character. That's the only other yeah. tidbit they've given us. Uh, next up, we've got Dal. 
Um, which, for anyone who is not watching on the live stream, this is the sort of purple-looking guy with the punky haircut and the big long um, ponytail down the back. And this one, they've not told us what the species is, um, just that it's a, it's not a species we already know. And it's a 17-year-old male character. Yes, so I'm going to assume he's from the Delta. The quadrant. Yeah, I think we have to assume that if we don't already know the species, they're probably from the Delta Quadrant. So, described as a bit of a hopeful maverick, this character. So maybe, maybe this is going to be like a bit of your Han Solo sort of archetype. We're going to get a little bit of that. The adventure loving, maybe. Yeah. I don't could know. Be. All speculation, but. Um, yeah, nothing wrong with that. No, absolutely. Then we've got Zero, who's the, the robot guy. And we found out that they, we talked about this earlier on. Well, it how... isn't a robot. No, that's <laughs> it. With it. We talked about how they'd already said um, that there was going to be some sort of link to the original series, a species in there. And this is what we're getting. Zero is a Medusan from um, Is There In Truth No Beauty? So I think that's given us an episode that we need to cover before Prodigy lands now as well. So we'll make sure we, we yeah. take a trick back and yeah, look definitely. at that episode before we get there. Then we've got... The, this is probably the most mysterious yeah. one, Murph, who's the big blobby thing. And that's about all we know, really. <laughs> Other than that it's... Um, yeah, like, I, hope that, I hope it's not a rip-off of the blob from... Um... Oh, what do you call it? I can't remember its name. What? Well, there's the blob. You're not thinking the of that sci-fi, one. Sci-fi, that's ripping off next gen. Oh, the, the Orville. No, the series. The so, Orville, that's it. Yeah. yeah, I hope it's not like a rip-off of the Orville's blob. Maybe, I don't know. I've still never really watched the Orville. I've only seen a couple. Um, but yeah, maybe not. I mean, it's voiced by the guy um, who does the voice for all the clone, uh, like Captain Rex and whatnot in the Clone Wars. So quite a prolific voice yeah, actor. Well, he does all the clone troopers. Well, yeah. Um, so we've got to assume <laughs> that this blob is going to talk a fair bit. Presumably they've not just got him just to make noises, but you never know. I mean... Ma- yeah, I don't think you get a prolific... like. Like the, I'm bu- I'm busy watching um, the Bad Batch and saying it's amazing seeing him in the studio again, having conversations with himself, switching voices. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, but having said, so that, he obviously likes. So he obviously likes to talk a lot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Marvel did get Vin Diesel just to say I am Groot over and over. So you never know; it could just be a. Yeah. A weird voice cameo, but hopefully he'll have a bit more to him than that. Um, this one, I think, again, I think I said this at the time, could this be a difficult cal- talk, a Tellerite? A Tellerite. And we found out that it is. This is Jankum Pog, um, who's described as a 16-year-old male Tellerite, likes, ar- likes to argue, but plays devil's advocate. So I'm not quite sure how that's going to work, but... Um, no doubt we'll find out. So that's another Alpha yeah. Quadrant species. So we've got the Medusans. We presume that the Brickar is Alpha Quadrant if it's sticking to the, the same law as we got in New Frontier. Um, yeah, I think if it's coming from New 
from a new frontiers, we've got to say that it's an alpha quadrant. Story. Yeah, so that's three we've got at least from the alpha quadrant. Uh, and then finally, we've got Gwyn, which is the tall, sort of slender character. Some people speculated this was going to be the same species as Jailer from Star Trek Beyond, but it doesn't look that way now. Um, we're told this is a new species called the Vaunakat. And she's been raised on a, a mining planet, dreams of exploring the stars, and she's 17 as well, so... No, she's 30. 30? I, I thought it said 17 on the thing, so... Yeah. No, there's another one. I, I, was, re I was reading an article on her, and there's speculation, like, she's 30, and she's uh, passing herself off as being a Starfleet ensign ah, who's looking okay. for the ship okay. that find. And, and they're sort of thinking, like, is she going to be sort of like a baddie inside? Sort of Ooh, a double... maybe. That would be interesting, yeah. But and they think she's a good... So... <laughs> well, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, we, we, we still think yeah. maybe August it's meant to be out, so I'm, I would expect an announcement soon. Then we also got a few um, screenshots, so... Maybe this is Gwyn, but heavily in a miner's outfit, or is it the Brickar character? I, thought, we I think on. that's the Brickar. I think that's the Brickar. And, and, like, when you look at the artwork, if this is the artwork of how the show is going yeah, to look... Yeah, this is going to be in motion. It's off to be... Yeah, it's going to be absolutely amazing. Yeah, and then we've got... There is a shot of Gwyn looking no. very sort of thoughtful and staring out, presumably, into space. I don't think we can derive a lot of the plot from it. Uh, likewise, well, we've got a shot of Dal as well, but looks like he's maybe a bit worried. Yeah, maybe hiding in a a Jeffrey's tube or something. Yeah, the the think this could be sort of like we've heard that it opens with them escaping, haven't we? From right. So yeah, it could be that. So uh, this is uh, Dal again. And it looks like he's looking out of a view screen, so... A view screen, it's just a view screen on the, the view screen of the ship that they find. Whatever ship it is, it could well be, yeah. But um, we'll like, have to wait and find out, but, yeah, it's, we've yeah, got a, like a it's, load it's very, of information it's there. It's very strange that it's supposedly way off in the Delta Quadrant, but we've got three Alpha Quadrant mm. species have been kidnapped there. And we know we've got a, a Federation ship because we've got a Janeway hologram on it, so... Yeah. Now, I think, funnily <coughs> enough, though we didn't plan it like this, we might have a little clue in the first episode we're going to look at, and we'll get to that. So we're looking at Lifeline from Voyager, which is another Barclay Doctor episode, and... There is a little hint in this one as to possibly what's going on, but we'll um, we'll get there as we go through. Now, you were talking about uh, how Prodigy, the sort of artwork and everything's looking really good. This space station at the start of Lifeline is absolutely stunning. And as far as I, I can tell, well, th this is new for this episode. I think it's a physical model. Yeah. And yeah, I wish I'd actually. I haven't done a screenshot of this space station, but I think this is um, 
six galaxy class saucers. <laughs> right, right, right. And stacked in, in in two stacks of three with uh, some bits put on them. Right. Yeah, that <laughs> I'm, makes I'm sense. not sure, but I can when I look at it, I can see Oh, that looks like a galaxy class saucer. So you think this is, is a bit of a galaxy cl- A bit of a kit yeah, bash. I think it's a bit of a kit bash. Well, it's yeah. a really good one if it is, because I thought this was yeah. a stunning opening shot to the episode. Oh, I, it's a great model. But yeah. I, I think it's definitely we're still in the time of physical models. Right. I assumed it was CG. I'm, I'm gonna have to go back and have no, another look. Uh, now that you've told me about uh, it being saucers, I, I bet I'll notice it. Um, yeah, like a lot of Voyager was still. Um, it wasn't until Enterprise that started using CGI all the time. Yeah, not all the time. No, you're right. Voy- yeah, Voyager was all models uh, still. It was only that actually yeah. the opening titles normally where they use that were done CGI. Yeah. So Doctor Zimmerman. Then we've not seen Doctor Zimmerman since Doctor Bashir, I presume, in DS Nine, and we find out that he's dying. Presumably, he must be dying of rapid aging because this is only three years in universe since we've last seen him. Yeah, which I I don't get because in in Doctor Bashir, I presume it's just Robert Picardo. He looks exactly like he does yeah. as the Doctor, and then that's in DS Nine season five, which ran roughly parallel to Voyager season three. So this is three years. Further down the line. Yeah. Well, it does say at one point he hadn't left this Jupiter station for four years. So four, we, right, we can so. say that he got back from DS9 four years ago. Yeah, he, he was still... But still, <laughs> even so. Still hurting from his rejection from Lita in that episode. I suppose someone packs yeah. you in to marry Rom, you, you probably would take it quite <laughs> hard. But, in fact, again, for people watching on the stream, we've got a picture of them side by side. So, there's the Doctor... Robert Picardo, how he looks now, and he's not aged badly in three years, but Dr. Zimmerman has. I wonder if they did it well, just so they look different in the episode, or... It just seems I, weird. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think I think that's probably it, that they've done it... They've done it so he looks different in the episode, and... Yeah, he's a weird Also, one. maybe trying to play that he is ill. Yeah, because I... Would... Genitry- yeah, degenerative, degenerative, degenerative disease, aren't they? So, yeah. Like, I was listening out for the rest of the episode, like, are they going to say this is an ageing disease or something? I thought, maybe. I'll give them benefit of the doubt, but they, nah, they don't seem to get there. So there's a really cool special effect again where, like, they send the transmission and it shows Voyager picking it up and it's... Cool, it's a really cool thing where it sort of follows the antenna and it's like it's going out in space and everything. Again, it's weird because this is like there's about two episodes left this season and this is where they're usually saving money for the finale, but it actually looks like they've spent a fair bit on this one, especially yeah. when you consider we've got Dwight Schultz back, we get Marina Sirtis later on in the episode, we're doing a lot of fancy effects and stuff. So yeah, it's uh, yeah. it's weird that at this stage in the season we seem to be spending so maybe, much money. Maybe they'd save, maybe they'd save too much money. Maybe so. Yeah, they need to do it to like balance the books or <laughs> something. Had, maybe they had more money than they thought. <laughs> yeah. So this carries on from <coughs> what we sort of found out in Pathfinder. So 
now they get to the stage where they're going to be able to relay messages and they're going to be able to do it once a month and everything. And the Doctor obviously finds out that Zimmerman's ill and this is the sort of motivation of the episode is he wants to... At first, it's like, I want to just have a look at it and give a second opinion. Um, but then it's all about, like, can he oh, actually go and save sim- him? Yeah, it's very similar to what I trek with the phage. And- yeah, exactly. And that that's, that's good plotting because it's like, right, what has the Doctor done <clears throat> that no one in the Alpha Quadrant would have been able to do? And it's we've got this species that he's dealt with that have made miraculous advancements in medicine. So it's a believable plot device. It's not just a case of I'm the only person who can save him because I am. There's actually a reason for it, and it makes sense within it and everything. Yeah, 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 they have gone, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, it, It does seem odd that Dr Zimmerman has a disease that no one has ever come across anything like it before. Yeah, that's true. I so mean, that's, it's a bit odd that he's managed to be the only person to pick up, but... Yeah, uh, but again... Of course there has to be something there. Yeah, you need him to have something that... It can't be a case of any old doctor can yeah. cure oh, him, yeah. so we need to get the doctor over there. But yeah, I'll take your point. And the idea comes about then we're going to send the doctor back and we do get all this stuff about he kind of thinks of Zimmerman as a father and because he's his designer. It's almost like what you get with Data and Dr. Soong, that kind yeah. of thing, which is... I, yeah, which I can, I can see why he would, because he has been developing, hasn't he? Yeah. So he will see Zimmerman as, well, this is part of his real family. Yeah, Not exactly. He's made a hologram one with his... Uh, Hologram kids that that get killed because of how the program's yeah, written. <laughs> that's a weird one, isn't it? and it gets over it pretty fast yeah. as well. But um, yeah, yeah, we'll have to do that one at some point. Um, there's a good bit where Seven of Nine's removing all his programs and stuff, and it's like you've took my singing away. And yeah, well, he's busy singing in. Yeah, at the time, <laughs> and it's only. Uh, yeah, and it's she lists all the other things she's removing. It's like, I'm going to take away your sexual programs. Like, what's he been up to? I suppose if he's had a family on the holodeck, that's probably where where that's come yeah, well, from. Plus he had that. Plus he had his Vidian uh, bit. He did he? have his Vidian friend. Yeah, that's true. But yeah, that's quite a funny sequence and everything. And then when he arrives at Earth, obviously Doctor Zimmerman's still fairly cantankerous like we knew him in Deep Space Nine he's not really impressed well, with it, the it seems Doctor even, it seems even more cantankerous now yeah <laughs> and we start to find out reasons for it is all to do with what they did with the the Mark 1 EMH and throughout the course of the episode we basically find out that they're, they're kind of like Crichton from Red Dwarf now they're like scrubbing toilets or something or scrubbing scrubbing uh, plasma scrubbing plasma conduits yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and he's annoyed because they all look like him, and this is what they're doing. I like, um, I like the doctor's sort of opening volley of questions, like, "Have you ever had sex with a Burlian?" And, <laughs> and Zimmerman's response is, "Oh, these are just standard questions that everybody asks." And it, 
Like, okay, so what's the what's the deal with Booleans then? There's obviously yeah, obviously some really dodgy Boolean STD <laughs> that's going round. If it's one of the first questions, and we meet Leonard the iguana. Now that is a big bloody iguana, and obviously it's a yeah, hologram. It just, cop- it just copies random phrases, yeah, and words. It's sort of like a parrot iguana, but it's. Yeah. It's called Leonard. Do you reckon that's named after McCoy? Possibly. Or in the real world, named after Leonard Nimoy, but... No, I, I think Leonard McCoy, because yeah. he's a doctor. I'd guess that, yeah. But yeah, yeah, you know, I'm all happy with a big parrot in iguana. That's it. Adds a bit of flavour to the episode. And of course, later on, he has his fly as well, which is uh, like a spy drone. Yeah. Now, that's quite a neat idea, is that? Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm surprised that sort of stuff doesn't exist yet, and if it doesn't yet, it will. You know, we can't be that far away from something like that. Um, So that small. Exactly, and it it ends up, there's a punchline to it, obviously, where the Doctor swats it. (laughs) And but it is a, it's only a hologram, isn't it? Yes, that's why I didn't go, because Barkley acts like, oh, I can't believe you've broken his his special prototype yeah. fly, and it's like, well, just turn it back on again then. It can't be... Unless yeah. it's like Rimmer and it's got a little light bee in it, and if you destroy the light bee, but... Strange. Or if he's destroyed its mobile Strange. emitter or something, I d- it don't... Yeah. Yeah. But... The, well, the, it's only the Doctor has a mobile emitter. Yeah, the joke doesn't quite land, does it? Because if, you, if you're going to no. swat it, it doesn't make sense if it's a hologram. Um, then we get a weird, very, very, very brief subplot in this episode where Janeway and Chakotay have a chat. Like, Janeway gets a, a message from the Admiral... And this is where I think we've got maybe a hint of where Prodigy's going to come from because he says, we've dispatched two deep spaceships that could get to you within five years. Yeah. But then if he's done that, it'd be like, we've dispatched two deep spaceships which could get to you in five years and we've put a baby Brickar and a baby Medusa and a baby um, Tellarite on it. Not necessarily because... the galaxy class is like should should be a deep space explorer because mm, it has true. That, the space for families when you know that you're going off for years and years. Mm-hmm. Could be. So it could be a galaxy class that we're gonna get. So maybe, I mean maybe we can we can wangle that. So it's five years after. That's more or less bringing us to where Prodigy's set. So if it's yeah. if it's one of these ships potentially or you know what this is doing, it's giving us a precedent to say there could be other Federation ships that are near enough ships to where Voyager is. Yeah. Yeah, so that they've gotten out there for if if Prodigy debuts its first episode and the internet's up in arms saying this is ridiculous, why is there any Federation ships there? We can be the annoying people who go, well, actually, if you check out the episode Lifeline, the Admiral clearly says... Admiral Hayes says. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But the follow-up to this is Chakotay and Janeway have a chat about the Maquis. She says, oh, he's asked me how the Maquis are getting on, and I don't think of you like that. But Chakotay says, well, 
you may have forgotten, but we haven't. You totally have, Chakote. You'd you'd forgotten about the Mackie side of it by episode two, mate. So don't even give yeah. us that. You've never seen anyone in your life happier to get back in a Starfleet uniform than Chakote yeah. was. Like I could un- like I could I could understand here. Uh, Starfleet asking about this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So they don't know. It, it's sort of like, <laughs> it's the problems on the crew because you've got Marquis and Starfleet. Yeah, have you had they to lock any of them up? They won't know that, that as soon as uh, Jane waved, waved them a Starfleet uniform, there were only two. Yeah, and the other it. thing is, technically, these are still wanted fugitives, you know. Yeah. I imagine that given the fact... So obviously we never find this out because, you know, famously Voyager ends more or less the second they get back to the Alpha Quadrant. But yeah. So we never do find out, but the Maquis got wiped out by the Dominion. So they're not an active threat. So that probably makes it a little bit easier. And the ones that come back with but, Voyager have put in seven years good service on Voyager. So I yeah, would guess like- that they'll let them off. We know that they're active marquees, so have they, have they before this actually committed acts of terrorism that they'd still well, have to stand trial for? More than likely. I mean, Ch- Chakotay, it's implied, is one of, the, one of the big sort of movers and shakers in the marquees. So, yeah, it's... I would imagine that they will get pardons when they get back because of seven years of service and whatnot. So, but it isn't it. It isn't it. Is it causing problems amongst your crew? And it's yeah, and the like Janeway. Janeway's answer to him on the next. We no longer have a marquee crew. We are a staff. Fleet crew. Yeah, exactly. They've all work as a Starfleet crew, and there's nothing about the marquee left with them. Which is very much the way it's <coughs> been played for pretty much all of Voyager's run. But but yeah, there are yeah. some interesting questions there, and it's interesting that they raise it within this episode. But you know, as with so many things in Voyager, spoiler alert: this doesn't really go anywhere. This is no. We we don't even no, get. It's Aston. This is it. Yeah, we don't even get another scene following this up in the episode. Like, you would expect there to be a scene where Janeway says something like, I've made my mind up what I'm going to tell the Admiral, and as far as I'm concerned, you're my crew, and, you know, something like that. But no, it's like we've got two minutes that we need to fill, so let's have a scene where they talk about that. But... Back with Zimmerman, then. The Doctor is now disguising himself as a sexy alien masseuse and giving him a massage, (laughs) which... You know, they were telling him a lot back in season one, you need to improve your bedside manner, so... Maybe he's just took it a bit too far with this. And Zimmerman (laughs) seems to be enjoying it until he realises what's going on. Well, until he notices that he's scanning him. Yeah. And then Councillor Troy turns up. You, you seem to get a two-for-one deal on um, Dwight Schultz and Marina Sirtis, yeah. see, it seems to me. I mean, they're a good pairing, and it's always good to see her. Um, but you, you have that sort of little scene where they pay lip service to it earlier on, like, oh, I'll have to ask Captain Picard. Uh, yeah, he's given me yeah, another exactly. two weeks off to come and see Barclay. If you're Riker, you'd be getting a little bit right. That's twice this year, Deanna, that you've um, 
taking a few yeah, days off to, off to see Barclay. go and see Barclay. What's what's going on here? Oh, he's on a space station now, is he? We're back on Earth before. This is all a bit... <laughs> of course, we know that Deanna would never do such a thing, but Riker's a jealous kind of guy, so... You know, maybe. I don't know. Um, there's quite a touching bit where... Zimmerman's making his will and it looks like he's pretty much leaving everything to Barclay. <laughs> yeah, like, we've talked about this previously, haven't we? We've been trying to fit in. Yeah. When was Barclay stationed on Jupiter? Was Barclay on Jupiter station? And nothing fits in. No, because... And yet, the, the, he, here again, they're making out as if he spent a long time with and Dr Zimmerman. This would fit in... If we hadn't, have, if this had have been the first time we'd seen Barclay since projections, we'd have gone, oh, okay, we, we knew Barclay were working for Zimmerman, this all makes sense, but we've not, we've had Pathfinder yeah. in the middle. Yeah. And so it just, uh, yeah, it, this is like... Yeah, if, if, he, if Barclay hadn't been part of Pathfinder, it would work. Yeah, exactly, but yeah, it, it, it's very... But even then, I don't get how he was there. Like, we've gone over it all the time, haven't we? Yeah. But the time when the Doctor came online doesn't work. No, it doesn't. For Barclay to be there at the same time. No. But, yeah, you're right, this doesn't quite work either. What they need to do is, like, we've had Kirk's autobiography, Picard's autobiography, Janeway's. We need Barclay's so that he can fill us in on exactly what he was doing. Maybe it's like we've got a bit of a... A Thomas Riker situation. Maybe there's two Barclays, and that had that would explain what's actually going on because he does seem to be in two places <laughs> at once. Um, yeah. The Doctor then mysteriously his program starts to break down, and this leads to. I actually really like this as a dramatic conceit. Is that you get them to repair each other? So Zimmerman comes out of his sort of slump. Because he's got something to work on and he's got to try and fix the Doctor. And while he's doing that, the Doctor gets to try and fix Zimmerman. So I yeah. do I do like the setup of all of that. And I enjoy that like Zimmerman deactivates the Doctor because he's getting on his nerves while he's trying to help him. <laughs> and he changes the greeting protocol as well. So you get this sense that he's sort of taking out his frustrations. Like it, it's kind of like Zack Snyder and his Snyder Cup, you know, it's like he's had a few years after he's seen what all the complaints are about the EMH Mark One, and now he's like, yeah. right, well, they've took all the other ones off Let's me. Do- I'm going to do this. I'm going to improve that. I'm going to improve this. <laughs> and it it comes to this idea, and he uses the example of um, Haley, the hologram that he's got, where... You know, if you care about her, you must think of her as being more real. So, you know, you need to think of me like that as well. So you can't just mess about with my my programming and everything. And of course, it all turns out that Barkley and Troy set it all up, which is good counselling from Troy. And this continues. Like, we, we talked about it, obviously, a lot when we watched Nepenthe from Picard. But Troy is so much of a better counsellor when she's not in the next gen. Like... At first, yeah. at first here she don't do great because she basically just says you both idiots and storms out. Which, <laughs> which there were being both idiots. They were, but it's not necessarily what you want to hear from a counsellor. 
But no. this gambit that she plays of getting them to both kind of help each other does work. So I think she does a good job overall. And obviously Zimmerman's going to recover fully. And Barclay takes a hollow photo with the Doctor's camera, which, you know, I know a hollow camera is different to a normal camera, but I'm sure they won't be that big by the time we get to that point in the future. Uh, like, it's a Doctor's hollow camera. The Doctor has been transmitted. How has he brought his hollow camera? That his is hollow a camera very good isn't point. a hologram. That's a very, very good point. Oh, it's, it's it just—he hasn't brought an overnight bag with him and all that. Well, no, because it's yeah. So they had to delete all his his extra bits so he could fit through. You're right. Yeah. yeah, good point. That yeah, somebody's not been paying attention in the script editing. But yeah, overall, another good one from another good Barclay episode. Another good Voyager episode that breaks away from the format and gives us a bit of a glimpse of the yeah. Alpha Quadrant. Um, Another good hologram episode, and we're looking at holograms because of Janeway. We are. So, yeah, I enjoyed that one. So, we covered most of the bases there. We did, yeah, it's a very good episode. It is a good episode. It might give us a clue, as I say, if it turns out that these um, five. One of these ships. Five years ships or anything to do with it, then we might have. Yeah. I'd like to pretend we planned it, but we've just been working through the Barclay episode, so we can't take too much credit. Yeah. Let's. Yeah, it could be where it's come from. Exactly. Let's move on then, and we'll look at the Dominion War. So we're up to the abandoned. So after the the huge big events in the search, DS Nine had a couple of weeks off from the Dominion, and we had a few sort of business as usual episodes, but. This one kind of throws us back into it, and to me, this is, it feels like DS9's version of iBorg, like, now that we've established this really dangerous threat, let's do an episode where we isolate one of them and try and get to know them a little bit better. And But in typical sort of DS9 fashion, it subverts it maybe a little bit more than we might expect and you know we don't <laughs> we don't get a happy ending. I know we didn't really with iBorg, but um this one even less so I think but and I think part of that is DS9 it's playing on the idea that yeah at this point we know you've watched seven years of TNG we know how you think this episode is going to go. You think Odo's going to get through to this Jem'Hadar and he's going to realise his own individuality and this, yeah. that and the other. And I think it's quite cool that we don't get that. But before we get there, we've got to contend with Jake's B-plot this episode. And we talked a little bit about how there were this thing about him dating a Dabo girl and we talked about... Is it really appropriate, given the age and everything? Well, I actually looked <laughs> into this, and the, and the retconned Jake's age. Yeah, I thought they did. During DS9. And and initially, when it started, he was nine years old. Yeah. And they've retconned it to his 12 years old, because he's 16 here. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, I noticed that. They've upped his age a bit, and it also helps that Syrup Lofton, between the episode where he first said he were dating a Dabo girl to this episode has grown about four foot. (coughs) 
you know, he, yeah. he looks like a man now, so it's yeah, not it, well, quite yeah. as icky. Yeah, now, I'm, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know how old Sarah Clofton actually was when they filmed this. No. I should have maybe looked, because was he really small for his age when they started shooting the <laughs> yeah. Or did he suddenly have a growth spurt and he actually looked a lot older than he was? Yeah, by I season three. I don't know. It's one because it, he did because he passed no problem for a nine-year-old in the emissary. Yeah, it was believable, and yeah, if you this is only two years because he does have a and and you do see it on screen. He does have actual huge growth spurts. He does, <laughs> yeah, particularly sort of from where we have him in season two to to this point, yeah. and. We get this thing, the Marta, the Dabo Girls, 20, Jake, 16. So it's, the age gap itself's not a huge thing. You know, four-year age gap is not, but but for a 16-year-old, it is a big age gap, you know, that... A 16-year-old seeing a 20-year-old is a big deal. 16 to 20 is a huge difference in terms of, in terms of age. And, yeah, I'm... I get why Cisco's not comfortable with this at all. And, you yeah. know, I don't blame him. Um, but the, the the main setup then is that it, she's getting invited over to dinner and it. Ah, we'll get to it when we get to it, but I'm, I'm not sure the resolution of that entirely works. And I think... I think this is the last time we see Marta. Like, I think she's mentioned, but it's pretty much mentioned that they... They break up, so I don't think this is yeah necessarily. Um, I've just looked up Sir at Lofton, so he was born in '78, and DS9 started in '93, so he was 15 when it started. So he was pretty small for his age. So and he was then, small for his age, yeah. Yeah, so he's about 17 here, which he, he actually looks, I think, a bit older than that. But yeah, he obviously just did have that growth. Yeah, but... he's he suddenly grown a lot and caught up yeah. with his actual age. So the main plot then, Quark's got his dodgy alien frigate captain who, she's been in it a couple of times. She was in earlier on the homecoming. Um, she brought the earring, Lean Alice's earring and everything. So it's yeah, it's nice to have a, a recurring character. And she's selling him some salvage and it turns out there's a baby in it. And I love how like angry Cisco is like, you bought a child, <laughs> which... Yeah. yeah, fair question, Cisco. Fair question. It is. You thought, and Quark goes, I didn't know when I bought it. Yeah. Isn't there a rule of acquisition to check what you're buying first? Yeah, and it, it turns <laughs> and Quark out. Quark admit, yes, there is, and normally I follow it, but I didn't. Yeah, that's it. You see, if it had followed the rules, it'd have been fine, and none of this would have happened. <laughs> I like how, um, I think you, we've got a picture of it, haven't we? Cisco. Goes into sick bay and sees the baby, and I love how soppy he gets over the baby. It's, yeah, it, it's just another great bit of acting from Avery Brooks because you know we know Cisco's a father, but we've not seen him with a child that young, and it, he just puts it across brilliantly. It's like, yeah, Cisco must it have does. been a great dad when he was a little baby. Yeah, and all the stuff he says to Dax, like you know. Yeah, I love Jake how he is, but I miss the days when he was just a little kid and everything. <laughs> and you can see he's a, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if Cisco's a little bit broody, but 
you know, give yeah. him a couple of years, uh, a freighter captain might come along and, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I just think it's a great a great little bit of a performance from him. It's only a very small bit of the episode, but yeah, it's excellent. And then the baby grows up really quickly. You know, this is... We've seen this sort of thing on Star Trek no end of times. Like, you know, the one where Deanna has the baby and that grows to be a kid straight away. Uh, Naomi Wildman, obviously. You talk yeah. about growth spurts. Um, I like the way... Yeah, well, Naomi Wildman, we didn't see on screen for a while and then we saw her at eight. Yeah, she's <laughs> kind of like... Um, well, the British listeners to the podcast will get this, but the... Famously in Coronation Street, I can't remember whose kids it was, but they sent them upstairs, said, go play in your room. And they were about four, and then when they came down a year later, they were teenagers. And it just, they'd change the actors, you know. <laughs> and stuff like that does happen all the time. So, um, yeah, so where are we? Oh, that's what I was going to say about the the makeup on the, um, the Jemadar kid. It's really clever how they gradually... Hang on a second, it's got to shut me door. How they... they it's really clever how they gradually add makeup to him. So it's not clear until he's fully grown that he's going to be a Jem'Hadar. You know, there's. it's clear he's not human. Yeah. But... It's sort of as, as a hitsy... As he hits a teenager, sort of late teenager, that's when you can tell he's going to be Gemma Dar, but before yeah, that... Yeah, exactly. So it, it works as a sort of a shock reveal in the episode, and I love how they film it from the point of view of him running around, and you see everyone's reaction to it, and there's a great um, Bajoran extra who just looks absolutely terrified and then really angry. He's like, you know, it's a Gemma Dar, like as if he's going to go for him sort of thing. So it's really effective, yeah. really, really good. And it it works to, you don't get the reveal straight away because we're seeing it through his eyes. We see everyone's reaction to him before we see what he actually is. I mean, the VHS cover of this, when it came out, gave it away a little bit because it was a Jemadar on the front of it. And I imagine that the advertising <laughs> will have given this away. But within the episode, you know, it's not the episode's fault yeah. how it's marketed. So within the episode, it's done really, really well. And this is when it's actually quite a bit into the episode before Odo's drawn into it. Like, we barely see Odo at all. We get that little scene where Kira goes to see him and we find out that he's, since he's come back after meeting the founders, he's moved into his own quarters and he doesn't use his bucket anymore and he's got different sort of shapes and things in his room so that he can explore being a, a shapeshifter. Yeah, like a big climbing frame. <laughs> yeah, which, that's awesome. It'd be quite cool if we got to see any of it, but I really like all that as a detail. <laughs> but that's all we see of him. He's not connected to the main plot of the child until a fair bit into the episode once it's realised that he's a gem Hadar. Until we have until we have it until we have the child running around. Exactly. And and then because he jumps at Odo. Yeah, and he jumps through him, which is it's always good when they actually manage to scrape the money together to do an Odo morphing effect. And I think yeah. this episode it is absolutely necessary because we have to see the Gem Hadar realise what he is. So yeah, that... it, 
it's his reaction because like this is a baby that's grown up mm. so this is something that's programmed into him yeah of how you react to a change to a change exactly like, it's really and sinister he is, it's literally it's literally praying straight away yeah it's really really sinister the things we find out about what they're doing in this episode this is the first episode we find out that they're dependent upon a drug. I mean, we, we find out later it's called Ketracel White, but and Bashir even questions it, like, why would you engineer a species to be dependent upon a drug? And, yeah. again, hindsight's twenty twenty and everything, but how great is it that you get Bashir reacting so strongly to genetic manipulation when we find out three years, four years later, that Bashir himself has been genetically engineered. And it's one of those where I'm willing to bet that there, there was no thought whatsoever at this point that Bashir would be genetically modified. That be, yeah. But it works. Yeah, I think you're right there. It but, does work. But you watch it again and you go, right, he must be much more interested in this because of that. And it must be, you know, striking a bit of a nerve with him. So that's, again, really good little details that are probably there yeah, more by but, good fortune than good design. But, but, but it's, like, it's like they say, isn't it, with the Gemadar, why, why would you create a species that's born dependent on a drug? Exactly. And only you can manufacture, and it's, a, it's for control. Well, if that's you're the it, only one who can make this. And the thing is, it's there's a cruelty to it because it's not like... If they don't get the drug, they just keel over and die. It's like, no, they're still alive, but they go through withdrawal and they're in pain. And, yeah. You know, it, it is in horrible. Withdrawal. But again, that's more effective because <laughs> if you have a garrison of Jemadar and they see each other suffering, they're more likely to be deferent to the, the founders. And... The fact as well that they obviously program in language or at least programming the ability to quickly develop language. Yeah. So it's, you know, it shows how powerful the founders are in terms of their technological advancement, but also the ruthlessness in terms of what they do. It's really, really yeah. good stuff. Um, back to, uh, to Cisco then, sorry. We were talking about in the episode the Jemadar about how his civvies, civilian outfits weren't that good. I think they're getting better in this one. Like it's it doesn't just look yeah. like a Starfleet uniform. It's starting to actually look like something somebody might wear. And I think again, I think that gets better again as it goes along. But this is where I'm not a hundred percent on how this all works because Cisco's really against it. She's an older woman, I don't want to see my son. Oh, she's told me that my son writes poems and he plays Dom Jot. Oh, well, you can carry on seeing each other then. Like, yes. okay, I'm not quite sure how that works, Cisco. I mean, I, yeah, I'm not quite sure the logic follows. I mean, he does get to know her a bit better and she's clearly a nice person. So, you know, there's no issue there. Yeah, and she's not... But it's just not just a bimbo who who spins a dom jock wheel. No, exactly, and you know all that's good, but it I still I don't get how finding out that Jake has more of a life than Cisco knew he had means that all of a sudden he's okay with this much older woman dating him. You know, yeah. 
it, anyway, but that's how it resolves, and that's the last we hear of it. I mean, Cisco mentions it to O'Brien later on, and O'Brien's like, whoa, you know, dating a Dabo girl, good lad. Which is probably, you know, I'll be honest, if I, you know, when I was at school, 16, if one of my mates had been dating a 20-year-old who looked like that, you'd be like, good lad. Yeah, but oh, yeah, you would. That's because we're a little bit, we don't think of these things when we're a kid, you know. I mean, remember, we're recording this in England, so if Marta and Jake got up to anything, that would be legal. There's a lot of states in America where this would not be, and Marta could yeah. very easily go to yeah. jail for... I'm not saying that anything... Yeah, in, in, in England, 16 is the age of consent. Exactly. So, I mean, I'm not saying that they're getting up to anything, but whether they are or not... Just Marta needs to check what the local laws are on Bajor and where it all stands in the Federation. That's all I'm saying. Well, she's Bajoran, so... She is. So, yeah, Bajor. Yeah. Mm. We'll leave it there. We'll leave it there. Um, Back to Odo and the Jemadar, then. So, he, he goes to stay with Odo, and there's a great conversation where... Well, I, I, no, I think this is a great part here, because... You've got the doctor's got him in sick bay and all that, and he's just starting to get this uh, artificial drug working yeah, yeah. on him. And he's under tests, and Odo's going to him, you need to stay here in sick bay with the doctor. And, the do- and obviously Odo wants his own space. And the doctor goes, no, it's okay. Yeah. You can go with Jennifer. And I thought, you get over Yeah, I noticed looks that. looks like it could kill you there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, oh, I don't see a problem as long as um, I can still monitor his signs. Yeah, well done, Bashir. Maybe Bashir just don't want him in the sick bay. Like, I'm not looking after Possibly. him. You can have him. And there's this conversation where the Jemadar says, like, I know that you're better than me, but I know I'm better than everybody else. Which, again, it shows yeah. it shows what's built into them, and what's interesting there is that they don't even think the Vorta are better than them. They think it literally goes the changelings, the Jemadar, and that makes sense that the the changelings would do that because if they ever have a problem with the Vorta, they don't want the Jemadar being subservient to the Vorta. Yeah. So again, yeah, the Jemadar will the Jemadar will follow orders when the Avatars uh, are signed. Yeah, but if it came down to it, exactly. So I really like. Well, that. we do see that later. We, we do. do see that later, don't we? Yeah. So there's a nice sort of almost like a sort of a a mind a mind twister kind of thing going on because Odo says. It's the sort of logic that Kirk used to use to destroy computers because Odo says, no, I'm not better than everyone else. And the Jemadar says, well, that's a bit of a paradox because you have to be right because you're one of the founders, but I know you are better than me because you're one of the founders, so both things can't be true, but neither of them can be (laughs) false either. And that's what Kirk used to do, wasn't it? To make computers blow up. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah give, them, give them stupid paradoxes. <laughs> exactly. Um, Odo shows him a footage of Jemadar fighting people. Not sure it's the greatest idea. And then he makes that fighting simulation in Quark's, and I bet Quark's charging him good money for it, you know. Or maybe it'll be... Maybe I'll turn my I, eye... I don't, I don't think uh, Quark charges Odo for things like that. 
Because Quack probably goes, hang about, Odo's off in a holiday uh, for a yeah. few hours. What can I do? Yeah. I'll know exactly <laughs> where he is and I'll have an alarm if he comes out of it. So, yeah, yeah. you're probably right there. It's probably on the house. Yeah, and... I, I imagine that any time Odo wants something from Quack like that, he goes, oh, okay, I suppose you're yeah. not going to pay me either, are you? Yeah, I bet you're right. <laughs> And we get to see sort of like the the violence increasing, and I really like the um, the choreography of the scene because it does start out like the the alien that he's fighting, the hologram, is really passive at first. He's blocking a couple of moves. He's very rarely making an offensive move. But then, as the difficulty ramps up, the choreography ramps up, so he starts being a bit more aggressive, and it is like a video yeah. game where it's. Turn your difficulty up well, as you go. Well, it's very reminiscent of a Wolf's uh, program, isn't it? It is, yeah. It used to fight them weird zombie things, didn't it? They were pretty cool, actually. Yeah, um, yeah increased level. <laughs> yeah. So, Kira's not happy about it. Odo says he knows there's a risk, but he thinks that, that he can change. And obviously, Odo's doing, obviously, a bit of projection here. Like, he's thinking back to when he was experimented on and tested upon, and he wants to... He wants to prove that he can be better. And they'll have another crack at this story when he finds the the infant changeling, I think, in season five. Um, a very sort of yeah. similar storyline there where he's trying to do better than Dr. Mora did effectively here. Um, but unfortunately, as he admits at the end, it's Kira that's actually right about the Jemadar. Whatever programming they've got is too severe. And it all sort of kicks off at this point. Like, Cisco brings in order to say, I've been ordered to turn him over. And it turns out that the kid can do the Jemadar cloaking thing. And yeah. he's been lurking in Cisco's office, which has now got a little corridor just off of it, which I don't think we've seen before. But that's quite good if you're making an escape. <laughs> and Odo's like, you know, I'm willing to give up the rest of my life now to look after you. Let's go, let's steal a runabout and run away together and all of this stuff. Fair enough. And But he just wants to go back to his people. And the confrontation's pretty good with Cisco, where he says, you know, I'll have to tell Starfleet that I'd have had to kill him to keep him here. But that actually is the truth, so... Yeah. And I mean, it, it is, it's like Odo's, Odo's there, I will take him back. And Odo's the only one who can take him yeah. back because they won't stop Odo returning. No, that's it. They they would no doubt kill anyone else who tried to do it. And yeah. Cisco's right that the, the kid would keep fighting until somebody had to shoot him if they if they tried to detain him. So yeah, it's a bit of a not a sort of anti-climax, but it is a somewhat of a downbeat ending really because you don't get yeah, well, yeah, it's what like you're expecting he could, couldn't get through to him he couldn't reform him yeah exactly and and I think that's what, what would have been I think what would have been really nice with this is if they could have got the actor back in a year or two later mm. as a as a Jemadar to be fighting them yeah I in think in a major way and, ha- and have no problem Going up against them, not e- hardly even recognizing them, yeah. or maybe recognizing them. Yeah, your Cisco. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That'd be really good. Yeah, and Cisco remembers him as the little kid that he had in his hands, sort yeah. of thing. Yeah, that would be really interesting. 
It's a shade out of the cupboard. I, mean, I, I think don't, they... I don't know why they didn't. I seem to remember them doing it in one of the comics. Um, but obviously, yeah. we never get it on screen. But you're right, it would have been interesting to have him as... It would have been good if in that episode... Is it Rocks and Shoals where the, the marooned on a... Like a oh, where the marooned and the Jemadar have run out of ketchup salt white. That's it, and it's just the Jemadar and the Starfleet team, and yeah, that it, it'd have been quite good to have water. him. Yeah, to have him as the leader there, or to have him as one of the one of the Jemadar that war fights in the the prison. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You're right. It would have been great to have brought him back, but ultimately we don't. But I think he he does a good episode, so we'll let him off. Yeah, and it just shows that. The Jemadar are literally pre-programmed from birth to be warriors, worship the founders. Yeah, this is it. This is you know, pretty much all of the other Star Trek villains we've humanised at some point. Like the Klingons, to some extent, we humanised um, you know, through Worf and Gowron. You know, yeah. we, we got to know them, we got to understand them a lot more. The Borg... Only really through Hugh at this point. Obviously, we're doing and a bit seven more. Seven of nine. Seven of nine later on, and uh, in Picard with the X Borgs and things like that. So yeah. we have done it with the Borg. Less so with the Romulans, but but yeah, this is absolutely subverting that and saying no, the Jemadar are not that. The Jemadar literally yeah, are fighting machines. The Jemadar machines. are what they are, and there's nothing you can do to alter that. That's it, and that makes them even scarier at this point. So, next week, then, we're looking at Inside Man, which is uh, another Barclay one, and we'll apologise in advance for this, but we have to do it because it's incredibly important to the Dominion arc, even if it's only mentioned very briefly in the episode, we're going to look at the notorious DS9 episode, Meridian, which... Is not that popular, but our entire thesis of how this war starts pretty much hinges on this episode. So, yeah, if we've got to do it, you've got to do it. You've got to listen to it. So we'll see you next time with um, that. Yeah, but we'll enjoy it. Yeah, we'll have a good time with that episode. It's not it's not a masterpiece, but we'll yeah, we'll give you our thoughts on it next week. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, we're at RetrekPod on Twitter. You can email us RetrekPod at gmail.com or you can come and join us on the Facebook group. Search for Retrek. Thanks for trekking with us this time and we will see you next time on the Retrek. Thank you. Bye-bye.